We've been in a series in 1 Timothy, um, and we're going to be close. We're still going to use Timothy today. Can we do that? We're going to talk about passing the faith along. We're going to do a Mother's Day message, and, um, but it's not, listen, you've got to get this. This isn't just for mothers. It's for fathers. It's for men and women, young men, young women. It's, these principles apply to everybody. And so uh, God's going to use Timothy as one that he's going to point these out to. But uh, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy, so passing the faith along. So this is for everyone, but I'll just say moms uh, have a focus today, okay? Ready? Okay, uh, now, a lot of what Paul was seeing in Timothy's life, and Timothy was a man, probably a husband, and probably a dad at some point, if not already. So these are things that are in all of our lives, but you can see that at many times, God uses moms in a special way, amen? What a special ministry. Last week, we were seeing the difference between how God created male and female, and there's a, there's, there's a reason why God put families together the way he did. This is just God's design. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible teaches, that God made it where that moms have a special role and dads have a special role. And when we put it together God's way, I'm telling you, because he's a designer and the creator, it just works the way it's supposed to. It works better, right? It works right, okay? When we do things that are not according to the way God has laid out, we might just say, I can do things any way I want to, but guess what? There's going to be a cost. It's not going to work right. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow and destruction. So here's what I'm going to read. I'm going to read not just that verse, but if you will open the book with me, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Read with me. We're going to start with verse 3. Let's start with verse 3. Let's get a running start out. Are you ready? Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait. Okay, okay you're ready. Good, good. Okay. It says, I thank, I thank God. Now, he's talking to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Um, time out. Um, since I'm not really like preaching on this verse, I've got to say something. Because uh, that's like the, really the only way you can serve God. Is out of a pure conscience. That is, my heart's right with God. And because if, if it's not, it's hard to serve him. And that's one reason why Paul puts these little things in here, but they're deep and we need to pay attention that I can serve God out of a pure conscience. That is, in my own heart, I'm not being convicted in my own conscience. The Holy Spirit isn't convicting me, so I serve God. Did you catch that? Serve God with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. So this is something, not just talking about his folks, but this faith was handed down. I want to serve God like those who've gone before me who have been faithful. All the way back. So, so we want to pass the faith along, right? And Paul wants Timothy to pass the faith along. And he's going to point out how the faith has already been passed down to him. Unfortunately, Timothy did not have a dad that probably was a help in any of this. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Listen to me. Some of you moms are having to go it alone. And that's unfortunate. That's not the way God wants it to be. And men are going to have to answer to God. But in Timothy's case, we find him in Acts chapter 16, the first time. Paul, on his first missionary journey, had gone through Derby and Lystra and had spread the gospel. Obviously, his family, they were, his mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek, it tells us. So his dad was Greek. He was an unbeliever. Uh, but his mom had been raised Jewish and so had his grandma. And evidently, they embraced the gospel and became believers and by the time Paul came back around in his second journey and came back to that town in Acts chapter 16, Timothy had already matured in the faith and he had distinguished himself as a servant of God of great faith. And Paul wanted to take him with him and did take him with him. 
uh, on. So, so we find out that Paul came from a family. He had a mom. On a mom's side, they knew the word of God, and they embraced the gospel. But on his dad's side, things were not so good. Okay, so you've got that. Now he says that uh, I want to serve God with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. I'm always praying for you, Timothy. Every time I pray, you know what? I try to pray for everybody, and I want to pray for everybody in our church. There are times that I try to get the list, and I want to call your name before the throne of God. I want to verbally do that. But you know what? There are some people that you and I, we pray for every day. You know what I'm saying? Right? We want to pray, and I'll say, bless all the people at church, right? But I will also try to call names before God. But there are, no matter who I'm praying for, there are certain people that I pray for every time I pray. True? Paul's telling Timothy, you're one of those guys in my life. Okay, just want to point that out. He says that, um, verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now, here's this part. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, this is a lot here, but I want to really focus on the faith. It's the genuine faith that he says, I remember the genuine faith. And a lot of this kind of comes from that genuine faith that he has in the Lord. But did you notice how he said that this first dwelt in your grandmother and then your mother, and I'm persuaded it's in you, passing the faith along. Now listen, we're living in some dangerous times, folks. We're living in times that are like no time that's ever been. We know that we're closer to the end of time than we've ever been. I think we could hear that as they say, as they say, that trumpet sound at any time. And I think a lot of people are goofing off and aren't ready. Okay? And as a church, we need to be ready. As families, we need to be ready. As moms and dads, we need to be ready. As young people, we need to be ready. Because we're living in difficult times. This is not a time for, you know, the family is under attack like never before. The main thing that Satan wants to attack in our church is our families. Because as a family breaks down, so breaks down the church, so breaks down the community, so breaks down the nation. And that's part of the problem you see in our country today. Okay? Um, So mothers play a special role. It's Mother's Day, so I want to focus a little bit on mothers. Like I said, this applies to all of us. So men, don't check your brain out at the door, you know, and have your heart, listen, pay attention, have your heart open. There's a story that I read years ago. Somebody said it really, you know, this isn't in the Bible. This isn't scriptural, okay? This is just a story to illustrate something, okay? Are you with me? About when God made mothers, how he made them so special. You remember it, anybody? I'm going to read it. It's when the Lord was creating mothers, he was into the sixth day of overtime. When an angel appeared and said, you're sure doing a lot of fiddling around with this one. The Lord said, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable. Run on black coffee and leftovers. Have a big lap that disappears when she stands up. A kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a broken heart and six pairs of hands. The angel shook his head slowly and said, Six pairs of hands? No way. It's not the hands that are causing me the problems, uh, the Lord said. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. 
That's on the standard model, asked the angel. The Lord nodded. One pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, What are you doing in there? And she already knows. Another here in the back of the head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the ones here in the front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say, I understand and I love you without so much as uttering a word. Lord, said the angel, touching his sleeve gently, come to bed tomorrow. I can't, said the Lord. I'm so close to creating something so close to myself. Already I have one who heals herself when she is sick, can feed a family of six on a half pound of hamburger, and can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the model of the mother very slowly. It's too soft, he sighed. But tough, said the Lord excitedly. You cannot imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only can it think, it can reason and compromise, said the Creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran his finger across the cheek. There's a leak, he pronounced. I I told you you were trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. A tear? What's it for? It's for joy, but also sadness. Disappointment, pain, loneliness, and pride. You're a genius, said the angel. The Lord looked somber. I didn't put the tear there. Wow. Something about mothers. Amen. Many of us are probably only alive today because mom spent a lot of nights not sleeping but praying. Agonizing over your soul. Never gave up. Someone once asked a famous preacher what his favorite translation of the Bible was. Some people like to argue over that. You know that? Here's what he said. My favorite translation is the one that I first learned, where I first learned about God. It's the translation of my mother's life. Seems like godly mothers, though, however, are becoming more of a rare species today in our world. Let me just say this, young women, you will never, ever receive a higher calling or a greater ministry in your life than that of being a mother. No greater career, no greater calling. There's no telling how much of the work of the kingdom of God that began with the mother ministering in the home. No telling. One man wrote this. He said, when it comes to rearing children, this is funny. He says, every society is only 20 years away from barbarism. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into our midst each year. These savages know nothing of our language, our culture, our religion, our values, or our customs or interpersonal relations. The infant is totally ignorant about communism, fascism, democracy, civil liberties, the rights of the minority as contrasted with the prerogatives of the majority, or respect, or decency, honesty, customs, conventions, and manners. The barbarian must be tamed if civilization is to survive. You've only got about 18 or 20 years. And so we're just, yeah, this is so important. It's so important. But Timothy is an example of a young man whose life was shaped by his mother. 
He's an example of that. I wish that it could have been said that he had a dad in there serving the Lord, but it doesn't. Don't worry. God can still do amazing things. One of the first ways that we come to learn about God and to know God and to worship God is through our mothers. I still remember. I don't know. You ever, you ever wonder how far back you can remember? I know I've got memories of four during, happened during my fourth and fifth year. But I can remember, I think even before that, of mom coming in and saying bedtime prayers with me. And she always brushed her teeth first, always smelled toothpaste. <laughs> and I can remember during those times, I've told this before about how mom would pray, and she would tell me, she'd say, you know what, you're special. You're not like the other boys. You know, we actually tried to plan to have you. <laughs> and she said, you're my only blue-eyed, everybody else is brown-eyed, and you're special. I was a middle child. You're special. And I just kind of felt sorry for my brothers growing up because I knew I was the special one. We got older, and I finally was telling my brother Russ about that. I said, you know what, Mom would pray sometimes when we were not, like, both sleeping in the same bed. She would tell me that occasionally and all of that. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. He goes, Mom told me that I was the one that was special, that I was her baby, and all I know, none of the other boys are like you. And then my older brother's like, well, wait a minute, guys. I think she told me that first because I was different than you guys. I was her firstborn and all of this. And so she had her own way of making us all feel so special. And those first memory verses, those first things we learned, we learned from her. Timothy, same way. And it's amazing that Paul mentions his grandmother and mentions his mother right here in this passage. And I see that the characteristics that Paul referred to in Timothy's life, they were implanted and they were strengthened by contributions in his life from both his mother and his grandmother, these godly women that, was in, that were in his life. And he found out that ultimately when we do God's will, his blessings will cover our life. But folks, when we begin to do our own will and we begin to do our own thing, then we're going to have pain and we're going to have struggles and we're going to have problems. He understood that. One of the first things uh, that we find as we look through this, is in verse 4. He points out something about Timothy that might be easy to miss. He said, I'm mindful of your tears. And that's one of the first qualities that kind of comes out there. All this kind of comes out of that sincere faith that we're going to talk about. But there's a transparent tender, tenderness that was evident in Timothy's life that obviously came from the influence of his mom and his grandma. Do you see that? Those tears represent a tenderness that's seen through all the other characteristics or moods, through all kinds of problems or stress. You know what? Sometimes we men... See, tenderness does not come natural to us. Tenderness does come more naturally for women and for mothers. And if we're going to learn that, men, we're going to learn it first probably from our mothers. And we need that. We need to be well-balanced. And Timothy had that. It's actually, what I'm talking about is really this tears, that this tenderness that you see there is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Because when he talks about fruit of the Spirit, he says it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. And he says faithfulness and then gentleness. That that gentleness 
and self-control. Gentleness is one of the things that we're talking about here, that tenderness that you see even in those tears. The first place we see this model is from our mothers. Now, that gentleness or weakness doesn't mean that, uh, this uh, meekness does not mean weakness, I should say. It's a word that oftentimes is used to describe like a stallion that has been tamed. It's like power under control. Men, we need to be able to open up and have some tears. We need to learn tenderness. And one of the places he learned it, I'm sure, is from them, from his mother and from his grandmother. We need to model it also. But we see it coming from our mothers first. Abe Lincoln was the one who said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. We learn this, as I said. We need to learn it. It's a basic requirement of any child is tenderness. Too many grow up with only harshness and threats. We've learned that kids that grow up with harshness, harshness and threats and just meanness, it affects the way that even the brain develops, not to mention the soul. So this is a very important thing. Listen, mothers, the voices of our day that we're living in, they want you to be rough and mean and masculine. Don't give up tenderness and gentleness. Listen to the word of God. This is powerful. So there's a transparent tenderness that comes through Timothy's life that was obviously impacted. But then he says this, be mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance that genuine faith. All this comes from that faith, that genuine faith. So not only a transparent tenderness, but an authentic spirituality. So when he says genuine faith, that word translated genuine is a word literally in the Greek that means unhypocritical. Okay? So... Back when we started 1 Timothy, Paul pointed that same thing out about Timothy. That he had sincere faith, genuine faith, that Timothy was the real deal, right? He's the real deal. That you have a real faith that's genuine. You're the real. Listen, the world is looking for people who call themselves Christians who are the real deal. And he said, you've got that. You've got an authentic spirituality. Too many times people see things that are fake. And let me tell you something else. He saw this in his mom and his grandma, and our kids want to see it in us, moms and dads. They want to know that the person that you act like you are at church is the same person that you are at home. And that's something that's a challenge. Because listen to me, listen to me. Who you are at home is probably who you really are. Okay? All right? Let's just be real. Who you are at home is who you really are. And I want, I want my kids to see, even though they've seen a lot of struggles in me and a lot of weaknesses in me, I just want them to know when they were growing up, and I want the grandkids to know when they're growing up that, that he is the same guy here that he is there. I want to be a different person here. They want to see that, that genuine faith. And, and many times it's through the mother that a child first learns what faith in God is all about. Mothers are the first ones to translate truth into life, our lives. But moms as well as dads, we have got to have a realness, a genuineness in our Christian life and model it before the children. That happened with Timothy, impacted his life, all right? All right, so then, then we see, uh, he tells them then the next thing that we see come out is an inner strength. He says in verse 6, I'm going to remind you to stir 
up the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, that's a whole nother sermon right there. But he encouraged him to keep fanning the flame of his callings and gifts. The callings and gifts that God has given you, you need to keep feeding that fire. He reminds us that. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. Listen to me. Are you listening? It doesn't matter how gifted you are. You can get neutralized if you don't continually feed the fire of God in your life and rely upon courage, power, and self-control that comes from Him. It doesn't matter how gifted you think you are. That's why He encouraged him. See, Timothy's a pastor. Timothy's dealing with a lot of problems. Maybe Paul heard that he's going through tough times. Maybe he heard that he's struggling a little bit. There's some tears there. There's some tenderness there. And so he's encouraging him that, listen, all this faith that I've seen, I didn't just see it in you, I saw it in your family. I'm calling you out to just keep on keeping on. And you need to stir up that fire. All of us need to stir up that fire. Because if you don't, it will go out. The enemy will see to it. And he reminds Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but inner strength, but power. Now, the word fear there means literally, it's not the word phobos that's normally translated fear. It's a different word, and it means timidity or dread. You ever live with that? It's not that you're just spooked out of your wits, but there's a dread There's just a dreadful cowardice almost in us. He said, that's not what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. It's power. And the Greek word translated power is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. That's what God has as opposed to timidity or fear that he wants to have in your life. And so this is not natural. You can't conjure this up. You can't do this on your own. own. It must come from God. And he will supply it through the Holy Spirit when we receive him as our Lord and our Savior in our life. This comes from him. And Timothy, he had this instilled in his life all the way back, even as he was learning to read. Did you know that? Because you can't have that without relationship with God. You can't have that without the Word of God. The Spirit of God's always going to use the Word of God. Never go around it, right? Listen to what Paul says later on. He says, 2 Timothy 3, 15, he says, And that from childhood, there we go again. That's back when he's sitting underneath his grandmother and his mother. So from childhood, who was it that taught him this? Lois and Eunice. We got their names. Isn't that awesome? That from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. All they had in those days were the Old Testament. Look how much better we have it now. It says that you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation, which as you even read just the Old Testament, you're going to come to the conclusion that God's plan always was that it was through faith in Christ Jesus. He's Christ Jesus. He's Christ. He's the anointed. He's the Messiah. He's the King. And He's Jesus, Savior. He's Lord and Savior, that from a child all your life. So sometimes we may be afraid. Sometimes there are things that bother us, upset us. But we're not to be dominated by that. We're not to be given over to a spirit of fear. We can have inner confidence, courage, and power if we trust the Lord. And we first see that modeled through mom, and Timothy did as well, but hopefully also through our dads. Then the next thing he says is not just, not, did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. But he says, of love, of love. 
an unselfish love. Because the word love there is the word agape. And the word agape is a word used as translated that God so loved the world. He took that word to a whole nother level. You don't find that word a lot in classical Greek literature. It's like the Holy Spirit took that Koine Greek word and made something unique. That's God's love. That's unselfish love. That's love that gives of itself. It's not love that just, I, love, I, I like you or feel affectionate about you because of the way you make me feel about me. That's what a lot of people think love is, you know it? It's how you make me feel about me. But this kind of love is unselfish and sacrificial. It's being able to love someone when they are difficult to love, to give when it's not easy to give. That's what this love does. And who first models that in our lives? In our own lives, in our own homes. It's a lot of times mom. A lot of times this love is not only unselfish, it's tough, right? Tough, because love has to be tough. Um, I saw unselfish love modeled every day. I'm thankful for that. Not everybody had what I had, so that means I'm accountable for a lot. Now, this isn't a kind of unselfish love that doesn't teach responsibility. I mean, it's possible for a mother or a father to hover over their children so much and, that, that, and, and do things for them that it sends the wrong message and they don't learn. The, the child must be taught that everyone on earth is not here to serve them and do what they want, right? Things don't work out. They, they, they need to learn this, that things don't work out okay when you disobey. Things don't work out okay when you disobey. Now, things don't work out okay when you disobey God, but you first have to learn that in the home. And that's one way that I learned the fear of God is learning it from my mom and my dad, that when you disobey, things don't turn out okay. Somehow or another, we get this idea that we can disobey God in areas of our life, and somehow things are just going to work out okay. They're not. But we learn that in the home. And it comes as a part of that unselfish love that teaches us that. Sometimes a mother's love is what first teaches us about God's love. Ignore the philosophy of our day, women. Don't listen to our culture. Let love come through. Mothers understand love. Our mothers knew what we needed even when we didn't. And even when what I needed was not what I wanted. Right? An unselfish love. Then he says, not only a power of love, but of a sound mind, okay? Of a sound mind. That's self-control. Because the word there literally means saving the mind. It's an admonition to discipline or self-control. Stanley Cooper Smith was an associate professor at UC, and he studied 1,738 normal mid-class boys and families beginning at pre-adolescent through manhood. And comparing those that had high self-esteem to those that had low self-esteem, he found some three distinguishing characteristics. Listen to this. The high self-esteem children were clearly more loved and appreciated at home than the low self-esteem children. Parental love was deep, not just empty display of words. Secondly, the high esteem group came from homes that had been significantly stricter, that had stricter or more fair boundaries in place and less permissive. The high, thirdly, the high esteem homes were characterized 
even though there were boundaries that were in place and understood, were also characterized by democracy and openness. Once the boundaries for behavior were established, then there was freedom for individual personality to grow and mature. And they were also characterized by acceptance and emotional safety. And you know, they've shown that like even on playgrounds. In one place, they thought they would take away the fences and take away all the boundaries. We don't want to have boundaries in these kids' lives. And they found out that what happened on the playground in this rural school is the kids just huddled up right in the middle and they played there. But when they put the fences back up, they were running all over the place because they were afraid. They didn't know where the boundary was. And so we find out when we put God's boundaries in place, there's more freedom, actually. Did you hear that? Some people say, I don't want God to fence me in. And young people say, I don't want you to put these boundaries in my life. And instead of adults, we say, Lord, I don't like your boundaries that you put down. But God is saying, what I've done is I put these boundaries there so you can have real freedom and real blessing. And the real, this, this is part of self-control. This is part of, of the discipline that he's talking about here. Mothers are a big part of the answer in building guys and gals who can keep control of themselves. Believe me, coming from a kid who was out of control. I was one of those fit throwers. I'm, I, I've got scars to prove it. You know, I don't remember this happening, but evidently I was like four, three and a half, four years old, and I was so angry at my mom because it was the wrong kind of pie, they told me, that I drew back and I hit the front door. <clears throat> it was a glass storm door. I didn't understand physics, and I ran my hand through it. And I have this funny little scar right here on my wrist that they had to have stitched up. Fortunately, it didn't get one of the veins that, you know, that, that type thing. <clears throat> but there's been times that I go to the doctor, a new doctor, and they kind of look you over and looking, you know, and, and, and see this scar. It's faded a lot through the years. It used to be worse when I was like in high school and say, is this something you want to talk about? <laughs> it's like, yeah, my mom made the wrong kind of pie. And I... It's the same mom that showed that discipline and that tough love and you've heard her tell the story. I was probably about three, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember this. And I went with her to the mailbox, and all of a sudden, my legs quit working. I wanted her to carry me, and she wouldn't carry me. That's the story. I don't remember this either. I, it, it, they tell it so much, I know it as if I actually lived through it. But anyway, <clears throat> that my legs quit working. And I wanted her to carry me, and I threw a fit, and I was down, you know, we go down, was down on the, and we had, we lived on a dirt road in those days, and there wasn't very much traffic, and you couldn't drive very fast, or you'd tear your vehicle up, right? Anybody live on a dirt road like that? Anyway, uh, it's actually paved now, sort of, but anyway, uh, in those days, a lot of traffic, but um, I, my legs wouldn't work, and so mom, like, well, you're going to have to just lay right there or walk, and so she went back to the house. And as she's walking back, my older brother, who was about six or seven probably at the time, said, well, you better move now, Mom. Here comes the feed truck. And the feed truck was coming along there, so he saw me. It was a friend of ours. And Mom said, before I could get out there, I didn't move. I guess I was going to lay there and let him run over me rather than give in to getting up and walking. And the feed truck went off in the ditch and all the way around me. My brother tells me that I did end up not just walking, but skipping, running back to the house as my mom was lighting up my behind. <laughs> but I appreciate a mom that, that loved me enough to be tough. Dorothy Nolte, because she always had the encouragement and the love as well as the discipline that balances, right? Okay, Dorothy Nolte wrote this. 
that if a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If he lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If he lives with fairness, he learns justice. If he lives with security, he learns to have faith. If he lives with approval, he learns to like himself. And if he lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. So important, so important to have these characteristics in our life, men, women, Timothy got this through his mother and his grandmother. Pass the faith along. You've got to ask yourself, men, you've got to ask yourself, women, is the genuine faith, do I have it? Do I have genuine faith? And if I have it, am I passing along these things that Paul brings out that was evident in Timothy's life? Am I passing along? Is it going to stop with me? Is my life going to impact these precious people God has created and put in my life? So that they look at me and say, I want to be like that, and that means following Jesus? Now maybe you're here today and you didn't have an example set like that. You came from a neglected, abusive childhood. But guess what? It means it all changes with you. It means you're breaking the cycle. It means there's a new legacy, a new tradition. And pray that it will be changed and be different until Jesus comes back. You might have great, 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 great grandkids. Although, I think he could come back today. But that, that faith. Now, look at my life. I've got so much to be thankful for. I don't want it to stop with me. I grew up on a farm. and we don't, You can't even make a living on a farm like that hardly anymore, can you? Farming land that our family had farmed for over 100 years. My great-great-grandpa cleared some of that land. They grew cotton. We run the dairy on it. But I grew up there and went to church together. I had a great-grandma and a great-grandpa next door. A meemaw and a pawpaw down the hill. And a mamaw that lived not too far away. Uncles and aunts and other people. That influenced my life. So many times and I'm praying, I'm just, I'm just like, Lord, I know they're not here, they're with you, but Lord, thank you for Graham, thank you for Granny, thank you for me, my Papa, Mama, thank you for all these people that you used before I even knew what was what to pour into my life. And I know they're with you, Lord, tell them thank you. I don't know, they probably got better things to do than worry about what I'm thinking and saying down here, but, but I don't know about what God does that. They're cheering you on, you know that. The last chapter hasn't been written because we're going to embrace again. They're counting on you. They're counting on you to be there and to finish strong. Don't give up. Have that genuine faith. Stir up that fire. Keep going. We say we don't have time. Well, guess what? The drug dealer out there is going to make time for your kids. Say, we don't have time to study and prepare lessons and teach our kids or find workers for Wednesday night or Sunday school. The movie industry, it promotes sex and violence. The porn industry, they're going to do whatever it takes to get into your kids' heads. Listen, church. 
as a body of believers, it's our responsibility to mother the children in this church, all of us, men and women, when I say that. So, one final thought. God placed mothers here so we can, first of all, learn what his love's about. That's the first place we're going to learn it, as a mother enters into the jaws of death just to give birth to us. We're dependent upon her for nourishment and for care. The human baby would never live and survive without the mother to take care of them, or someone to take care of them, ideally the mother. God gives her the milk, the nourishment to nurse the baby. The dad's there to protect and surround her and strengthen. This is the way God designed it. This is the way it should work. This is the only way it works, folks, really. This is the only way it works. Remember, when you disobey, things don't turn out okay, right? Our society's not learning that. But the kids of the church, it's where we're going to all work together to help instill these things in them. And so the question is, do you know him? Do you know his love? Are you stirring up the fire that's in you? Do you have this that we were talking about? Do you have these things that Paul was seeing in the life of Timothy? A transparent tenderness, an authentic spirituality of faith that is real, an inner strength, power, unselfish love, and self-control. Let's pray. Father.